pray together. What a love, what a cost that we might stand forgiven at the cross. So I pray that the tone of this moment would be preserved. We would know ourselves very close to the blood-soaked cross. That we would feel the weight of the cost of it. That we would know ourselves now and increasingly so through this message, loved. There is a kind of love that comes to your own that is great beyond the love that the world can imagine or that many Christians will own. pray that you would make it plain now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me to John chapter 3? I'm, I'm talking here not this time about the doctrine of justification, but the doctrine of regeneration. Preaching regeneration or the new birth undiminished. So we'll begin with reading the first ten verses of John 3, which are the verses that come most quickly to mind when we think about the new birth. John 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher in Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? There were so many things in <clears throat> Alistair's message that made me want to jump on my desk that I'm going to comment on one or two and make the second one a bridge into the message. The first one was talking about short little messages, like 17 minutes. He did it in 17 minutes. Yesterday, what, what, what is today? This is Tuesday. Day before yesterday, uh, I began my message talking about little messages like that. And I said to the people, if you come here... And you're used to a 20-minute, immediately practical, relaxed talk. You're not going to get it. I preach at least twice that long. I do not aim to be immediately practical, but eternally helpful. And I am not relaxed. And I, I, I feel myself standing on the brink of eternity. 
And any one of you could go over the edge before we meet next time. So amen to urgency. Amen to a certain spirit about this thing called preaching. I am sick of short, chatty, chipper, feel-good little talks. What, what do we think the world needs? They have so much of that already. They don't need any more. They're desperate to hear God. And they don't know it. They don't know it. You have to persuade them that God's Word is more important than a little friendly, chatty, feel-good, get a tip, go out, come back. It just is so pointless. It doesn't matter how many thousands come to hear you do it. Okay, that was number one. <laughs> just loved it. I wish he had jumped on his desk. doesn't matter how messy the desk is. And the second one is um, the free offer of the gospel and that seven or eight minute portion of his message where he was getting on the case of, of hyper-Calvinists who've lost their way and don't know how to preach John 3.16 because they believe in John 3.8. So that was also my message this weekend. I preached two messages on John 3.16 in the last two weeks. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. We talked about the meaning of the love of God in John 3.16, which is right here in the context, right? Just stop too early to get to it. It's Six verses later, it's very relevant to what we're going to be talking about, and we'll, we'll get there at the end. We're talking about the new birth. We can say to every single human being on the planet, God loves you. And what we mean by that, we'll just unpack it. We will say to them, God loves you. He sent His Son to die in your place such that if you would just come and believe, you would have it. So come and know yourself chosen. Come and find yourself particularly loved. Come, come and believe and you will know yourself born of God. This is not hard to do, brothers. I'm a seven-point Calvinist. I want people to come. I am sent to open their eyes that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's my job. And only God can do it. Okay. That's the second one. So here we are in John 3. And my goal in the second sermon that I did on John 3.16 was to argue that John 3.16 is not controversial. 
unless you use John 3.16 to cancel out John 3.8. Now, Alistair was going in exactly the reverse direction. He's been bumping into people who use the freedom of the Holy Spirit to awaken from the dead whom he chooses to cancel out John 3.16. I am just as concerned, maybe more, because I think there are way more people making the mistake I'm addressing than the one he was addressing. And they're both bad mistakes. I'm concerned about people who've been born and bred on John 3.16, love it with all their heart, use it and win people to Christ with it, and use it to cancel out whole swaths of the Bible. Namely, the doctrine of the new birth as it's taught in Scripture. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the doctrine of the new birth. I have a burden for my people. And my people are always in flux. Like, who are they anyway? I hardly recognize anybody. I have a burden for these people that come and go, kind of like a tide in, in my church, that they know themselves loved with a love that is greater than the love of John 3.16. Which, of course, causes question marks all over their faces. Because, God, I didn't even know what you're talking about. John 3.16 is the amazing love of God loving a mass, a, a mass of sinful humanity, all fallen, all perishing, such that he sends Christ into the world to Cancel the sins of all who believe so that you can say to everybody on the planet, believe and your sins will be canceled. Just believe and your sins will be canceled. That's a great love. It isn't the greatest love. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We will. I'm going to be like Alistair Begg here. On my way to John 3, let's go to Ephesians. You all know this by heart. You wouldn't even have to go there. This is verses 4 and 5, but just to make sure we, we get it exactly right, might hope to look at it. What I'm after here is for you to see with your own eyes what I mean by a greater love than John 3.16. That's what I'm after. Just to set the stage for unpacking the new birth. I know the new birth is not mentioned here, but the reality is here. I think you will agree. Ephesians 2.4, but God, being rich in mercy, we'll see that again, because of the, now here's the phrase, great love. And I just asked my people on Sunday, I said, now you want you to know what this is. I want you to know yourself loved like this. I don't want you to use John 3.16 to cancel this, because if you use John 3.16 to cancel this, you will miss out on being loved the way you should know yourself loved. You'll know yourself partly loved, and you'll be fragile all your life wondering if you're doing enough to qualify for the love of John 3.16, because it is conditional. This love is called great Love, You see that? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us 
alive. You were dead, brothers. I'm presuming now that virtually everybody in this room is alive. I don't know that. That may not be the case. But once you were dead, and now you are alive. How did that happen? You did not raise yourself from the dead. And if you were taught that you did, you won't know yourself loved like this. He came to you as a vertical corpse. I just heard that phrase this morning in the prayer room. John Lennox says the corpse is vertical this morning. Well, that's good. If you're, if you're lost. We were all vertical corpses. And he came to us just like Jesus came to Lazarus. And he spoke to us. I mean, some people say you can't speak to dead people. Of course you can speak to dead people. Jesus did it. And he said, Lazarus, come out. And his word created life. That's what preaching is. Come out. Come out. In the name of God, I say to you, awake. That's what preaching does. It raises the dead. And then, when the dead are quickened, they move. And the first move they make is to believe in Jesus. Now, that's the love that I long for you to know. Know yourself loved like that. The security that comes from it. The rooting and depth that comes from it. The steel that comes into your spine. The expansiveness of spiritual breath that comes into your lungs. The capacities for joy that flow into your life when you know yourself everlastingly elected and loved and irresistibly conquered by Christ. It is so sad. It is so sad when people only know themselves fractionally loved by God. Conditionally loved by God. And it's all hanging on them. It's just hanging day after day on them. So, the new birth. That's what I want you to see. Because the new birth is the act of... Of being greatly loved. The new birth is the act. I could take you to one other text on the way. We'll make one other stop. First Peter chapter one, verse three goes like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Now that's almost like riches of mercy in Ephesians 2, 4. Same idea. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. The biblical writers, when they contemplate what happened to them in their dead condition, they're totally alienated and dead and hard and dark and blind and hopeless condition. When they contemplate it, they say, great love, rich mercy, great mercy. That's the way they talk. So if you don't think that happened to you, it will be so sad that you know yourself only Loved with the John 3.16 love and not the John 3.8 love. Here's my outline. 
I want to talk about what happens in the new birth. I want to talk about why it's so necessary. And I want to talk about how it happens. And the how is the, is the tricky one, isn't it? Because if it's, so, if it's so lopsided that God raises the dead, what did Lazarus have to do with this? Which is where the analogy starts to break down, doesn't it? Because we, we're walking around. We're thinking. We're talking. We're feeling. We're willing. We're... We're not exactly like Lazarus. So that's where we're going. So try to go quickly because I, I know our time is short. Number one, what happens in the new birth? Let's read the first three verses of the text. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, this is much of an out of the blue. Just picture this. I've just paid you a compliment. Just, what? What? Jesus just, whoo! Just look what he does here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why did you say that? I think the fact that it's pointed out here that Nicodemus is a Pharisee is significant. The most religious of the religious, right? The most rigorous. Verse 7, you must be born again is even more pointed. All of, all of Nicodemus's religion, he's saying, isn't what he needs. You don't need new religion. You need new life. So I'm arguing first that new birth, what happens in new birth is life. You need life, Nicodemus, supernatural life, not new religion, but new life. Now, I'm I'm assuming Jesus is operating with a category here of living dead people. I know that from Luke 9, verse 60. It goes like this. Jesus said to the man who wanted to follow him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Luke 9, 60. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. I take that to mean that there are physically dead people who need burying and there are spiritually dead people who bury them. So he's, Jesus has the category of Ephesians 2.5. Paul probably got it from him. You don't, you don't have to choose, choose between Jesus and Paul. Jesus knows there are living dead people and Nicodemus is one of them. And what happens in birth is life. Life comes into the world. That's the point of the analogy. It's, it's life. You need life. You need to be born. You're dead. You need to be born the way you come into me. I could use the word new creation, but I don't. I use the word birth here. So Jesus is telling him he's got to be to be born. You can see this again, that Jesus has this category in the parable of the prodigal son. He comes home. He's out there talking to the elder brother saying, come on, this my son that was dead is alive. So you got two places, 960 in Luke 
And here in Luke 15, 24, Jesus is thinking in terms of there are dead people and they come alive. So that's the problem with all people in the world. Nicodemus types or more libertine types. They're all dead. And here in verses 6 and verse 8, that which is born of the spirit of, is, of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So what does that mean? When you're born of the flesh, all you are is flesh. And that's very much like the Pauline category of flesh. It's just humanity minus God. It's humanity minus new birth. It's humanity minus the Holy Spirit. Humanity minus life. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. What does that mean? That's kind of a strange phrase. Is spirit. Is spirit. I think it means you don't have a living spirit now. You're dead. You don't have a living spirit. So what needs to happen is the Holy Spirit causes you, breathes on you, does something to you, and then spirit is living. It's alive. I think that's what that which is born of the spirit is spirit means we, we were dead. We had no living spirit when the spirit moved and did his regenerating work. Now we have a living spirit. We are spiritually alive. Once we were just humanity. Now we are supernaturally living humanity. So this is the second thing I would say. I've already said it. The first is what happens in the new birth is that life happens I would simply underline it's supernatural life. This is not moral awakening. This is not turning over a new leaf. I mean, the whole world talks about new birth, right? You can go online, just type in new birth, and you'll find that uh, Boston Commons has experienced a new birth, you know, that sort of thing. It's, It's all over the place. The industry had a new birth or... You know, our marriage had a new birth or I've known a new birth because so the, the, the concept of new birth is everywhere. And I'm just setting this aside and say the divine, supernatural, Holy Spirit comes upon a person and awakens, creates, causes supernatural life that wasn't there before. Those two things, and there's more that I could say about what happens in the new birth, but life, life happens in the new birth. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear the sound of it, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So what's, what's the comparison there in verse 8? Wind and spirit, of course, the same word in Greek, you know that. Wind and spirit are being compared, and he's saying the wind is free, has free will. And it starts and it ends, and you can't see where it starts, where it is. You see effects. You hear sounds, that's the effect. The wind makes sound, so I I know there was wind because I saw leaves doing like this, and I felt a little pressure on my cheek, and I heard some mmm, and so I know wind was here. But where it came from and where it went, that's like the new birth. I see some effects here. I see some interest in Christ. I see some drawing to Jesus. I see some falling away of 
bondage. I see life. And so I know he showed up. I didn't see him. I don't know where he came from. He's so free. The point of verse 8 is God is sovereign in the new earth. He just, he moves around like the wind and he awakens from the dead and you see life. When it happened to you, it happened that way. If you're honest and you understand your own conversion, once upon a time, might have been six or 16 or 56, you were disinterested, mainly bored with Christianity and the Bible. Football was neat, basketball, television, nowadays, Internet, whatever. It's food, friends, everything's so fun and interesting. And religion, you just... Church and Bible and gospel, it's just so boring. There's zero responsiveness in here. You're dead. And then something happens. Something happens. You listen to Billy Graham on TV or your mom is talking to you sitting on the bed. Or you're scared to death because of what's happening tomorrow and you flop your Bible open and Something happens and you're interested, you're scared, you're hopeful, you're being made alive and you're not doing it. You're not going to say that in heaven when God says, what happened to you? You're not going to say, I got smart. I was more spiritual than my brother. I had an old man come up to me after this message. This was a very sobering message for a lot of our people. This message I preached the day before yesterday on this this point about a greater love than John 3.16, which so emphasized the sovereignty of the spirit in new birth. Old man looked like 70, maybe. I mean, I'm 63. 70 doesn't sound so old. it just tears streaming down his face and his wife standing beside him, kind of awkward. And he could hardly get the words out and just took my hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm chosen. I'm chosen. Just weeping. <laughs> because he knows that if it's hanging on him to get himself born again or to stay born again or to finally make it to heaven as born again, he's a goner. I mean, I asked the folks and I'll ask you, how do you know you're going to wake up a Christian tomorrow morning? How do you know you're going to wake up believing and not totally disinterested tomorrow morning, ready to throw it away, walk away from the marriage, get a new business, buy a motorcycle, sailboat, I'm out of here, midlife or whatever it is, I'm gone. How do you know that's not going to happen? And the only way you know, if you know, is God won't let it happen. If you think that you're on a trajectory and it's pretty good... So I'm on a pretty good trajectory, and so my trajectory won't wobble that much. How do you know that? you got one assurance. He took you. He keeps you. Now unto him who is able to keep me from falling. That's my only hope I'm waking up a believer tomorrow morning. When I wake up, I woke up this morning, that horrible beep, beep, beep went off at 6 o'clock 
And I opened my eyes. I thought, there you are again. And I'm loving you. And I'm needing you. And I'm believing in you. And I'm counting you. And that's amazing. Because I was stone dead unconscious for six hours. (laughs) And I could have woken up in any condition whatsoever. So, first point, what happens in the new birth is new life comes. And it comes by the blowing of the wind and it comes by the begetting of the Holy Spirit. I, I, one other little verse. If you jump, if you go over to John six sixty three, it says, it is the Spirit that gives life. So, if you just wanted me to put the word life and spirit together because the word life and spirit aren't in chapter 3. I mean, spirit is, but life isn't. And I'm kind of assuming that birth implies life. But if you want to see it explicitly, go to 663. It is the Spirit that gives life. The Spirit gives life. Now, second point. Why do we need this to happen to us so badly? We need to set up this paradigm in our churches so that people operate in terms of their condition, which explains why certain things had to be done by God to save them. Last night I talked totally about the cross and about the righteousness of Christ and I will end by trying to link the two messages together in a few minutes. But but here, we're talking about another kind of problem, aren't we? Not like, I need forgiveness or I need righteousness. I'm dead. That's a different problem. I'm dead. I can't even believe in order to get united to Jesus where that forgiveness and that righteousness will count for me. I can't even respond because I'm dead. So let me give you... I don't think I have time to give you ten. I've got ten written here. Um, but I might just zip through them. Ten descriptions of your condition, my condition. And oh, brothers, as bad as this news is, this is glorious to get it right. When you know there's a magnificent remedy. I mean, just go ahead. Tell me how bad I am. Because it'll just make my resurrection all the greater. It'll just make Christ's sovereign, free, glorious, redeeming grace all the sweeter. Go ahead, tell me. I hope that's the way you feel right now. (laughs) Because I'm going to tell you some really bad things about you. Number one, apart from the new birth, we are dead. We've said enough about that. That's Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. Number two, apart from the new birth, we are by nature children of wrath. That's Ephesians 2, 3. By nature. So underline the word nature, which means we're not... We're not in trouble because we do bad things. We're in trouble because we're bad. Yes, John Piper is bad. I knew you were waiting for that. And it's not funny except for the Internet. Because there's so much of that badness left in me. It makes my marriage hard. It makes my parenting hard. It makes my staff relations hard. I don't need a conversion story about how I got drunk and I was on drugs and slept with ten girls before I met Noel. I don't need that. All I need is look in the mirror. Today, regenerate John Piper is so bad, all I need to do is do a little trajectory drawing to absent the Holy Spirit. And I'm out of the marriage. I'm out of parenting. I'm out of the ministry. I am off to the Bahamas. 
So it's, this is not, I mean, to say, you know, John Piper's bad, funny, we'll make a little video out of this. Wow. Number three. So by nature, the point of that was, my badness is endemic. So if you have a, a theology that says your problem is you do bad things, well, that's true. It's just not deep enough. You do bad things because you, by nature, are a child of wrath. And that means wrath relates to you like your father relates to you. You chip off the old wrath block. You, wrath belongs to you naturally. No, nobody will be in hell unjustly. Number three, apart from the new birth, we love darkness and hate the light. John 3:19. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. So we love the dark and we hate the light. That's my text for next Sunday. I'm preaching through the Gospel of John. I figure it'll take me about six years, even though it took me eight years to do Romans. And John is longer. That's the effect that narrative has. So I'm... I'm into it. I love it. And I'm eager to do the next little unit here from uh, 18 to 21. And so I'm looking at this thinking all week long. Hmm, what am I going to say about loving darkness and hating light? That's who I am. You didn't you didn't have a will problem. I, it's interesting that this conference is built around hmm, what's called urging the will and reviving the affections or something in the mind. You didn't just have a will problem, which is implied Right in this conference head up, you have a love problem. You love darkness. We still have that old indwelling sin, which is marked by the love of darkness. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, well, I don't want to sin today, but I'm going to out of duty do a little sin so I don't fall into perfectionism. (laughs) Nobody ever sins out of duty. You only sin for one reason, just one reason. It feels good. Or it'll get you a little more money from your tax report if you don't report that honorarium. Number four, apart from the new birth, our hearts are hard like stone. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will remove the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Number five. Apart from the new birth, we are unable to submit to God, unable to submit to God or please God. Romans 8, 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh or literally the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. That's action. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, this is a real cannot That doesn't make you guiltless. Oh, this is a huge issue that has to be worked out with your people. If you use cannot language, lots of your people are going to say, well, if I cannot, I'm not responsible. That's not the way the Bible thinks. There are different kinds of cannot. There's a physical cannot, hands tied with a chain behind your back. It says, raise your hand. I think God honors that right there. God honors that. Seize your heart. But if you... Now, this is tricky. This is really tricky. I'm just making this on the fly. This is totally out of my head right now. If God says, raise your hands, and your hands are free, and you're just embarrassed raising your hand, and you don't, because you're so embarrassed, you can't 
So embarrassed you can't, you're still responsible to. Okay? Forget that whole hand-raising thing. I didn't mean to bring that up at all. That's irrelevant to anything I'm, I'm saying here. My point is when the Bible says that people who are in the flesh cannot please God, the cannot is real. They're dead, which is why we need to be born again. There's a cannot in me, a cannot, for which I am not excused. Number six, apart from the new birth, we are unable to accept the gospel. First Corinthians 2.14, the natural person, that is, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, the natural person, no Holy Spirit, no regeneration, no new birth. The natural person does not accept the things. There's the do again, does not accept. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Before you were born again, when you heard the gospel, you could not understand it as true and glorious and beautiful and wise and powerful. You could not. It was foolishness to you. Because that's what the natural mind does. It sees glory as foolishness. Until that is changed, you can't see it as beautiful. Number seven. Apart from the new birth, we are unable to come to Christ or embrace him as Lord. First Corinthians twelve three. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Clearly, that does not mean that an actor on a stage who's a Muslim and is called to play a Christian part can't say the word, Jesus is Lord. Clearly, it doesn't mean that you cannot program your computer to say Jesus is Lord. What it means is you can't from the heart own Jesus as Lord. Submit to Jesus as Lord and give expression to that with your lips apart from the work of the Holy Spirit which is another way of saying you must be born again. Number eight. Apart from the new birth, we are slaves to sin. Romans six seventeen. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. So you might be able to screw up carnal willpower to walk to the front and sign a card and pray a prayer. But this six says you once were slaves of sin and have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And he begins by saying, thanks be to God, because God did that. If once you were a slave of sin and you were being jerked around by sin because of its compelling beauty and desirability to your fallen soul, and that changes, what you say is, thanks be to God. That's what you say. Because He caused you to be born again so that you would see the ugliness of sin. I like, I like to treat sin as, a, as a, a brooch hanging around your neck and you're in the dark. And you, and you keep fondling it. It's so wonderful here. Oh, it's love my sin, love my sin, love my sin. And then God mercifully calls you to be born again, which means the lights go on. You look down. It's a roach. It's a roach hanging on the string. Ah! 
How could I ever have? How could I ever have? And then fill in all the blanks where the new birth makes you have a, a different taste bud for righteousness and sin. How did I watch that show? How could I have watched that show and not been convicted? I, it's just, you're new. You're new. God opened your eyes. The lights went on. Number nine, apart from the new birth, we are slaves of not only sin, but Satan. Listen to this word from Ephesians 2. One and two, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Here's the phrase following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There is a perfect correlation between our fallen will and Satan's action. We are flying in tandem with the devil before we're born again. We can't say the devil made me do it because he's working in perfect tandem with our fallen wills. It's both right there. Dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The God of this world is blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel. I get it right. Keeping between the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then verse six says. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So how do you get from the blindness of Second Corinthians four, four to the sight of Second Corinthians four, six? Creator God says, let there be light. That's how you got saved. Let there be light. Lazarus, come forth. And number 10, apart from the new birth, no good thing dwells in me. Romans seven eighteen. There is in me, that is in my flesh, no good thing. Enough on our condition. That, brothers, is why we need to be born again and why our people need to be born again. If, if they understood those ten things about themselves, the doctrine of the new birth would not be perplexing. It would be absolutely necessary. It would make sense. And they would see they can't make it happen. They can't make it happen. I mean, how many times do you do brothers deal with what I deal with? You stand for 45 minutes or an hour at the end of every service, or if you have two services, you have to squash it down. And then after the second service or third service, you just stay and you pray with people. I was there for one hour on Saturday night. I just say to the people, I'm here until midnight if you need me because I want to pray with you. So I'm there. I was there for an hour. And the most common thing that we pray with is people who say, I've tried this and this doesn't work. I can't do this. You say this. I can't make it. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. And they're absolutely right, which is why we pray. Okay, last point. How does this happen? How does this happen? We have seven minutes. Let me give you four steps and try to relate them to each other and see if we can do it. Step number one, the Holy Spirit freely gives life. Freely gives life. There is no how-to here at all. He must sovereignly do this. But don't leave me yet. If you 
Don't, if that sounds a little too uh, taking away man, his responsibility, okay, stay with me. I think I'm going to say something helpful for all of us lovers of God's sovereignty that will put us in the midst of this. So, John 3, 8, the Holy Spirit is free. He blows where he wills. And John 6, 63, the Spirit gives life. And Ephesians 2, 5, while we were dead, in his great love, he made us alive. Okay, that's step number one. Or the first thing we should think about is, God, I am desperately in need of being made alive, and I can't make it happen. Make it happen. Number two, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. So important. The second most important passage on the new birth in the Bible. Maybe the most important. 1 Peter chapter 1. Start at verse 23. And go to verse 25. 1 Peter 1.23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And here's the most important phrase. Through the living and abiding word of God. And then lest we think some kind of vague notion of the word of God, he nails it for us. Okay, keep going. For all flesh is like grass and all of its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Here it is. This word is the good news that I preach to you. Now, brothers, this is clear. How are people born again? Through the good news. Is that clear? Okay. That is crystal clear. The human agency. Of the divine sovereign awakening of dead souls, the human instrument, the human agency hand is the gospel preached in its fullness with undiminished understandings of justification and reconciliation and redemption and propitiation, just unpacking the glories of the gospel in front of dead people all the while pleading with God that he would do Alistair Begg's Spurgeon quote. That was another point where I wanted to jump up on the desk because it was so right. We must preach and we can't save anybody. And yet Paul says that I might save some in order that I might save others. And we can't open the eyes of the blind. And Jesus says to him in Acts 26, I'm sending you to open the eyes of the blind. And you can't make yourself a new heart. And the Bible says, get yourself a new heart. So we've got two steps now so far. We've got the Holy Spirit sovereignly awakening, giving life. And we've got, secondly, 1 Peter 1.23, namely that this happens through the living and abiding Word of God, which... Nope, I won't go there. He said not to go there. That would make me a Baptist. Oops, I went there. Number three. Number three. First John 5, 1. What does the gospel do when it comes? It brings about faith. Go to First John 5, 1. First John 5, 1.
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. How shall they believe on the one they haven't heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach if they not be sent? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we know that the faith in chapter 5 verse 1 came through the gospel. But it says, everyone who believes has been. Let me read you uh, Stott. He's nice and safe to quote, isn't he? Yes. Stott says, the combination of the present tense, believes, and the perfect tense, has been born, is important. It shows clearly that believing is the consequence, not the cause, of the new birth. Our present continuing activity of believing is the result and therefore the evidence of our past experience of the new birth by which we became and remain God's children. So, we have three steps now. We must have a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit giving life. We must have the preaching of the gospel or the hearing of the gospel, the reading of the gospel. It's got to get to a dead soul. It's got to get to the dead. And we have that gospel by that spirit awakening faith. One last step. And and the word step is totally wrong, but I don't know what else to say. One last step is that here in John 5, in verse 11, it says... This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. So that's what you're given in the new birth. That's the life that comes. He gave us eternal life. This life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. So in the gospel, Christ is offered, right? Receive him. Believe on him. And John 3.16 happens. Believe on him. Now, here's the part. I'm going to close with this. That I think... Uh, Calvinist Arminians you know, about, about this issue of my dad and I just go round and round on regeneration first, faith first, faith first, regeneration, and we just bang heads. Well, I'm totally sold that regeneration is the cause of the new birth. But I stumble over the word first. Because you try to, let's, let's just put it out here, parse this up temporally if you can. I don't think you can. Holy Spirit arrives and moves in sovereign power. Faith is quickened. Union with the Son of God happens. In union with the Son of God, life is enjoyed. And we could add justification. And we are then counted as sons of God. To those who received him, he gave power to become the children of God. To those who were born, not of the will of man, but of God. I personally don't think there is any time between those four things. None. It won't work temporally to carve it up. Because then you've got lapses in here where you have a regenerate person who's not believing. There is no such thing. Another reason why I'm a Baptist. (laughs) There is no such thing 
as regeneration without babies crying. I believe, I believe. There is no such thing as regeneration without union with the Son. There is no such thing as regeneration without life, eternal life. There's no such thing as regeneration without justification happening instantaneously because of our faith union with Jesus. This feels to me healing between me and my dad. He's in heaven now, so he's got the real scoop. So he's either saying, I told you so, or the other thing you might say. So there it is. What happens in regeneration? Life is imparted and it's supernatural. Why do we need it? We're dead. We're rebellious. We're hard. We're blind. We love all the wrong things. And there is no way that we could ever cause it ourselves. We're not inclined to the gospel. We're not inclined to the cross. It, it is foolishness. And third, how does it happen that we get this life? The gospel is preached to us. So, brothers, maybe, maybe this. Skip over a few pages here and find my closing thing here. I'm sending you. Okay, I'm standing in the place of Jesus now. I'm sending you to open their eyes. I'm sending you to take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. I'm sending you to raise the dead, brothers. And if you say to me, we can't open their eyes, we can't raise the dead, I'm going to say things like this. You can't make electricity or create light and it never stops you from flipping switches. You can't create fire in the cylinder of your car and it never stops you from turning the key. You can't create cell tissue and never stops you from eating. And you can't raise the dead. And brothers, don't let it stop you from preaching the gospel. Don't let it stop you from praying. I mean, brothers, we have impossible jobs. Everything we care about most, we cannot make happen. All the stuff we care about least, we can do. You can grow a church. You can have a worship team. You can build a building. This stuff is a piece of cake. But saving sinners and sanctifying and holding marriages together and seeing kids preserved and miracles wrought in people's lives, we're totally incapable of. And yet God sends us to do it. We are absolutely indispensable in God's work in people's lives. This is a little footnote to explain the verse that, Alistair never got to. That's a joke. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.20 You are ambassadors for Christ. When you speak, God raises the dead. Let's pray. Father in heaven, don't let us fall off the fence on this issue of your sweet power and sovereign initiative in the new birth. And feeling like we've got to make it happen. 
God, help us to get this right for the sake of our people, for the sake of the nations. Glorify Your sweet grace, Your great love by which I was once made alive. Oh, make us instruments of life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.